right, should we get started? Sure. Hi, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. Jane and I are talking in low volumes today. I am speaking as softly as I can. You don't have to speak as softly as you can. I just need you to speak softer. I'm trying. Speak softly and carry a big stick, you know? <laughs> well, I don't have a big stick, but I do I have a stuffed animal. Let's I... go outside. We'll get a big stick. We're in Brooklyn. I guess we could find There are park. trees everywhere. I can, there's a tree right outside my window. Oh, hey. If we could get a stick. Okay, <laughs> please pause while we go get a stick. We're back. We have a stick. Yeah, we're back. We have a stick. Um, Jane might hit me with it from across the room. If they do something she doesn't it's like. It's really long. I can hit her with her. with. I can hit her with it from here. <laughs> yeah. If I did something she doesn't like. So we got to try not to make <laughs> So you Jane better not. be nice to me. Yeah, we got to try to make Jane not angry today. <laughs> Jane and I are speaking in soft tones because when I went to edit the last episode, it sounded like Jane was screaming and I was talking at a totally normal volume. And I think it's because she was turning down all the volume on her headphones just she couldn't hear herself. So I'm making her do the whole episode with the volume the whole way up <laughs> so she can hear what her volume is for real it's a punishment but it's a learning experience it's it's know? not a punishment it's a chance to learn i know this language i also work with children i know i know how are you doing how was beautiful did you like it i really did it was very I was about to say beautiful and then i realized um, <laughs> it was it's absolutely beautiful well it's just so touching and like i really didn't know much about the life of carol king yeah i know very little so seeing it there was a lot of moments of like she wrote that are you kidding me and Mm. like are you kidding me she had to put up with that and like yeah and like the they're like the when she's right i'm so sorry when she writes this the you got a friend song and they Mm. like she sings it with her friends it's really beautiful and i saw it with my mom and my aunt who like were carol king fans when they were young mm-hmm. and still are um but they like grew up listening yeah to they carol grew up king. listening to her and they were sobbing during yeah. that song and <laughs> the entire audience was singing along at one point yeah. which like at first i like one guy behind me started singing along and mm-hmm. i was like i looked at my aunt and i rolled my eyes and i was thinking about that like internet meme that's like when you see lame is and it's like <laughs> cosette played by the girl sitting behind you because yeah. she's singing along the whole time yeah um, and so i was like oh brother this guy but then the whole audience joined in and i was like oh okay he's allowed when i saw hello dolly everyone was singing put mm-hmm. on your sunday clothes and hello oh. dolly which like that's fair you know, they're bops. They're jams. Yeah. What was the show? I forget the show that, like, it's universally acceptable to sing along. But I like I feel like I saw a show and everyone was like, we can sing along and it's okay. Was it a jukebox musical? I haven't seen too many jukebox musicals. <gasps> was it musicals? Green Glass? Or what's that musical we saw that's the wa- the Grateful Dead musical? Oh. <laughs> Red Roses Green Gold or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Red Roses Green Gold. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think they, I think that was an accident. I think that was because those people literally had never seen musical theater before. They just were Grateful Dead fans and we were like the reverse. Like, that was not a show that was meant for us and that's fine. Like, it was a, it was a fun, it was a time. It was a fun time. You that know? was, that was like really early on to you and I living together. That was like the first free tickets I got and I was like, do you want to? <laughs> yeah. And we were like, all right. Okay. Okay. How are you, Sarah? <laughs> I just, I lost track of what we were even talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm good. I got back from Disney World. <gasps> oh, yeah. Talk about Disney. It was really, really 
fun. I had an absolutely amazing time. I got to go to Mickey's Halloween party and that was really cool. And I got to see Galaxy's Edge, which was really fun. I cried when I saw the Millennium Falcon. Mm. It was really cool. I was like, I've always dreamed of being in the Millennium Falcon. And then like, that's what the ride is. Like you help operate it. I was like, this is my dream. I love Han Solo. <laughs> so that was really special. Um, Toy Story Land is amazing. Actually, Toy Story Land, I think, was my favorite. Because they, they scale everything in the park so that you're the size of a Fisher-Price toy. Oh. Which is, like, a really cute detail. That yeah. you don't notice at first, but it's super consistent throughout the whole thing. I was really mad, though. The worst part of the trip was that this... I kept having men make shady comments towards me. Like, one, t- one night we went shopping and we had to go through security somewhere. And this guy was like, did you just buy all of this? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, you were doing what women do best, shop. And I was like, why'd you have to make this about women? Like, I got so angry. And I was, I was like, I'm just trying to get the on the merchandise at the place that I'm at. Like, Right. I was like, I just want to get on the monorail. I don't need this right now. And then another night, um, another day when we were at Hollywood Studios, we were in this like Star Wars store area. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at this like they had these really cute purses shaped like stormtroopers that i was mm-hmm. like oh these are cool so i was looking at it just like cuz this guy came up to me and he said i had a frozen backpack i've had the same frozen backpack it's been on every trip to disney with me since 2015 mm-hmm. and i've been three times so like it's my companion at this point <laughs> it lights up it's got elsa and on it um and this guy looked at me as i was looking at the stormtrooper bag and he was like yeah you need to trade in that little girl's bag for something for a real adult and i was like i will hate you what <laughs> disney world trade i know i was like we're at disney world like why are you so anti-joy <laughs> so that was very very frustrating just like i saw a lot of white men that made me angry <laughs> typical yeah and i was like i also saw a lot of people wearing inappropriate shirts for disney world like not child friendly shirts. Yeah, like not child friendly mm. shirts. Like this oh my god, the worst one though was I saw a dad wearing a shirt that said guns don't kill people, dads with pretty daughters do. What what uh, 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 uh. <laughs> the worst. It was the worst. And that was like the fir- that was the first day at breakfast. I was like, ah, a greeting. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to get started? Sure. Okay. So, you asked me to talk about fairies. <laughs> I'm laughing because Jane told me from the start she didn't exactly follow the assignment. No, I think I did. I just, I, I did the bare minimum to follow the assignment and then I, I have a tangent. That's okay, very all right, long. that's fine. Okay, so. I enjoy your tangents. <laughs> uh, so the term fairy um, comes from the word, also fairy, but it's spelled F. A-E-R-I-E, mm-hmm. uh, which, according to Anglo-Scottish folklore, is a term that means the realm of the fae. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a fabulous land that is home to the fae. <laughs> a fabulous a fabulous land. land. <laughs> it sounds like pride. So, like, technically the real word for fairy is, like, fae. Okay. But it just became the word. That's why Morgan, Morgana, Morgana is Morgan Morgana Yeah, yeah. I also made that leap immediately. I love that we're on the same page. No, you got it. <laughs> there is no single origin for myths and stories about fairies, but it is believed to be an amalgamation of a large collection of folk beliefs from oh. various sources. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Some such sources are angels or demons in Christian faith. Another one is minor deities that come from pre-Christian pagan 
belief systems, some of which we talked about with Wicca, spirits of the dead, prehistoric precursors to humans. So like some people are like, oh, those are just magical things that have been here longer than humans and they've adapted further than us. So that's why they hide from us. Or some believe they are elementals. Now, elementals are mythic beings that were described in occult and alchemical writings. Alchemical? Alchemical. I think think it's alchemical. Alchemical? Because it's alchemy. Um, Alchemical writings around the time of the European Renaissance, particularly in the 16th century works of writer Paracelsus. According (laughs) to Paracelsus and writers who wrote Followed, yeah who learned from him there are four types of elementals and i think this is really funny they are gnomes undines not undies undines okay. sliffs and salamanders <laughs> <laughs> and those correspond to the four empoclidian elements of antiquity which are just the four elements um, oh a salamander fire can i guess what they are yes okay, okay what do you think we'll go in order gnomes Earth. Yes. Undines. Water. Yes. <laughs> Sliffs. Air. And salamanders. Fire. Yeah. The four elements at Hogwarts, like the four houses of yeah. Hogwarts, are supposed to relate to the elements. Yeah. If Slytherin is water, Gryffindor is fire. I think so. Hufflepuff is earth. Yeah. Ravenclaw's air. Okay, yeah. I guess that makes sense. I, I can see that. Yeah. Slytherin being water is surprising. Yeah. I don't know what I would think it would be, but... Yeah. I think it's because I feel like if I were in the Avatar universe, (laughs) I feel like I would be a waterbender. Apparently it has to do with the shape of your hands. Like, according to the state. And, like, yeah. It doesn't have to do with your sign. It has to do with the shape of your hands. So, according to the shape of my hands, I'd be an earthbender, which I'm super into. They're my favorite. Oh. Oh, yeah. I forgot. I always forget also that the zodiac signs correspond to elements. Yeah, we're both fire. We're both fire signs. I don't, because the water signs are so emotional. I can't deal with them. <laughs> See, that's Says why... the fire signs. <laughs> they put out our fire. They do. <laughs> we don't mess with water signs. Historical origins of fairies also include various traditions from uh, of Brythonic, which is Breton's Welsh, Cornish, mm-hmm. um, Gaelic, Irish, Scots, Manx, which I guess Manx cat comes from Manx and Germanic peoples, as well as middle French medieval romances. So those Mm -hmm. cultures all also have like fairy version, like fairy stories. It's pretty widespread. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much every like European culture Mm -hmm. has some form of fairy myth Mm -hmm. that exists. So it's kind of a lot. It's a little all over the place. (laughs) And, fairy also started to be used as an adjective during the elizabethan era no no during the late middle english period um is that before or after uh i think it's before okay for example fairy knight or fairy queen is just a way of saying like magical knight or magical queen so that further added to like all of the fairy myths that are that exist was that meant in a positive way or a negative way what do you mean? Do they use fairy with a positive connotation or a negative one? Because, you know. I think it can be either or. It just means, like, 
like from the land of the fae pretty much okay i was Uh, just asking because just like of magical origin yeah fairy has become like a negative nickname given Mm. to a lot of gay people specifically gay men so i was wondering Um, if that's when it started or if like no i don't think that was it no but that added to further confusion because there was already so many fairy myths and that was like any myth that contains magic that Mm -hmm. was also now put in the fairy category Mm -hmm. because it was the adjective to describe it was fairy it just meant enchanted and then literature of the elizabethan era era started conflating elves and fairies like and confusing them and using them interchangeably pretty much so that added to further confusion and just so pretty much anything magical that you can think of it was considered quote-unquote fairy shakespeare used fairies he did he did so (laughs) here we go into my oh boy all right so no well when i was doing research that this one headline popped up that sparked a memory in my mind um uh, this is a story that i've heard before and Mm -hmm. i was like oh yeah like what was that about and i googled it and it is this really interesting story to me and i want to talk about it okay that's the cottingly fairies now (laughs) in 1917 Nine-year-old Frances Griffiths and her mother were moving from South Africa to the UK because her father was in France fighting in World War One, And they went to stay with Frances's aunt, her uncle, and her cousin. And her cousin was 16-year-old Elsie Wright. And they all lived in the That's village... That's grandma's name. Aww. And they all lived together in the village of Cottingley in West Yorkshire. And the two cousins often played together beside the stream at the bottom of the garden on their property they would often come home like soaking wet so their mothers told them they weren't allowed to do that anymore yeah and the two of them said well we want to keep playing by the stream that's where we see the fairies we play with the fairies down there and their parents were just like lol whatever our daughters are seeing imaginary friends like they're playing a game but the kids were like no 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 there really are fairies there and the parents didn't believe them so one day elsie took her father's camera which oh. is like the style of it was a midge quarter plate, which I think I'm, I don't know much about photography, but in a lot of this, I'm going to be talking about an image on a plate. And I think that was because this the type of cameras they were working with would like print an image onto a plate. And then that plate would be what they used to develop the pictures. Yeah. That makes any sense? I don't know a lot about that kind of photography, so I don't yeah. know for sure. And when I say plate, like, I don't think it's like a dinner plate size no, thing. No, it's I think like it's a, a thing. slate. It's, yeah. like, it's more like a slate, yeah. I would say. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So they took Elsie's father's camera. His name is Arthur Wright. He'll come up much more in the story. And they went back out into the garden, and a half hour later, they came back, and they said they were triumphant. And... <laughs> Everyone was like, what do you mean? So Elsie's father happened to be an amateur photographer. So he had a dark room in their house. So he developed the pictures and he found that they had taken this picture of Francis, like leaning against a bush and there's four fairies like dancing on the bush. It's a cool picture. But Elsie's father did not believe the girls. They thought somehow they had pranked this. Like they thought... He didn't know how they had done like it. they had used dolls or something? Yeah, he thought they had little toys or something that they were taking a picture of. And he totally didn't believe them. He thought they were, like, making this whole thing up. Yeah. But then two months later, they took another picture. Oh. They borrowed his camera again, and they returned with a photograph of Elsie sitting in the lawn, holding her hand out to a one-foot-tall gnome-looking creature. All of the pictures involved in this are very, like, nice pictures and cool-looking. Oh, I've seen yeah. this picture before. Yeah. Arthur, Elsie's father 
still thought that they were somehow faking this, but he didn't really chalk it up to anything they were doing. He thought like, oh, cool. The girls are making some cool photographs. It's like a fun art project. Yeah. But he still <laughs> took the camera away and told them they weren't allowed to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is cute, but we're done. Because <laughs> yeah, he just kind of thought that like they were trying to trick him. But he was like, all right, well, you made these fun projects. Um, yeah. I will say Elsie's mother, though did believe the girls that they were getting pictures of these fairies. Moms are so supportive. Yeah. I love Polly Wright, a hero. Towards the end of 1918, Frances sent a letter to her friend in South Africa, whose name was Joanna Parvin. And with the letter, she sent two prints of the photographs. Well, no, she sent two photographs, (laughs) one of which was the first fairy drawing. And the other was just a picture of her, like, in a bathing suit, (laughs) like, by the pond, or by the stream, I should say. And... (laughs) I love this quote from the letter because it's so clear that this is like a 10 year old girl who does not think it's that crazy that she's claiming to see fairies. Right. Um, Because this is a quote from her letter. I am learning French geometry, cookery and algebra at school now. Dad came home from France the other week after being there 10 months. We all think the war will be over in a few days. I'm sending two photos, both of me, one in a bathing costume in our backyard while the other is me with some fairies. Elsie took that one. Like, and that's it. (laughs) And then on the back of the picture, she wrote, I never used to see them in Africa. It must be too hot for them there. It's like nine-year-old girl. That's really sweet. Yeah, it's almost pure. (laughs) It's so pure. So in 1919, Elsie's mother heard that the Theosophical Society in Bradford was doing a lecture on fairy life. Okay. So she decided to bring the pictures to them to show them to just see what they thought. And now the Theosophical Society, I have, I can tell you're angry. About I have that. kind of mixed opinions about because it's it, it's this way of thinking called Theosophy, which I did some research in and it took a lot more time than I thought it would because I was just trying to figure out what it really was. Right. Because when you look it up, the symbol for Theosophy has a swastika in it. Uh-oh. So it's like, oh, mm, we don't want to be part of that. Yeah. But I, I do think that it was pre-World War II and pre-Hitler's rise to power mm-hmm. and that whole movement. So I'm I, I'm wondering if you like did research into swastikas, if maybe before I'm sure they had it was attached meaning. to racism, yeah. Yeah. they had some other meaning. Yeah, they probably had a prior meaning. Yeah. And also the woman who came up with theosophy, it to me... It, like, no offense to Mormons, but it sounds a little bit like Mormonism mm-hmm. in that it's just this woman who claims that these two beings came to her mm-hmm. and she called them masters. Oh, uh, okay. And was like, you need to help mankind become like us, basically. Mm-hmm. And so she founded this group called Theosophy. But the head of the Theosophical Society, his name was Edward Gardner. He saw mm-hmm. the pictures that Elsie's mother, Polly Wright, brought to to this meeting and he thought this was evidence that theosophy was totally true and it wasn't really a religion it was more so like a way of thinking because they claimed that like you could be any religion you wanted to be a part of it he was like we have christians we have buddhists we have hindus who are all theosophists and it seemed very inclusive like that you can be any age race class like you can be any human in the world and you can be But anyway, one of the major tenets of theosophy is the central belief that uh, humanity is undergoing a cycle of evolution towards perfection. Oh. Edward Gardner saw the pictures of the girls with the fairies 
Um, and he stated, quote, the fact that two young girls had not only been able to see fairies, which others have done, but had actually for the first time ever been able to materialize them as density su sufficient for their images to be recorded on a photographic plate means that it was positive that the next cycle of evolution was underway. Okay, so they thought fairies were next. Yeah. Okay. Or at least the ability to see fairies. Mm. Like he's like, some humans have seen them. They're out there. The fact that these two girls were not only able to communicate with fairies, but make them appear for them so concretely that they could take a picture of them means that we as humans are evolving. And this is proof. So Gardner sent the prints along with the original glass plate negatives to Harold Snelling, who is a photography expert. And Snelling's opinion was that the two negatives were entirely genuine, unfaked photographs with no trace whatsoever of studio work involving card or paper models. He didn't say he believed the pictures were of real fairies, but he did say, quote, these are straightforward photographs of whatever was in front of the camera at the time. Okay. Which that's an, a, an opinion that kind of became popular. Like, I believe this picture is real, but I feel like somehow they staged it mm -hmm. and they just took a picture of it. So the picture is un edited yeah but they probably staged it somehow word of the photograph got around and somehow or other the editor of the spiritualist publication known as light contacted sir arthur conan doyle oh my god yeah he, oh he's gonna become a major figure in this story wow he just he, he was friends with arthur conan doyle and he heard about this and he knew that doyle had recently been commissioned to write an article about fairies for the strand magazine for their christmas issue so he like got in contact with them and was like hey you should check out these photographs these kids are claiming they're seeing fairies and they have photographs so doyle contacted gardner because he was sort of the sole owner of the pictures at the time because mm -hmm. the family of the girls and the girls themselves at that time were staying anonymous. Yeah. They were just like, the gardener was like, this is proof of my theosophy. So the mom was like, okay, you can take them, do what you want with them, investigate however you want. Yeah. Just like, don't tell anyone about us. Yeah. <laughs> we're over here. <laughs> Leave me out of it. <laughs> Leave us out of it. When Arthur Conan Doyle got involved, he got in contact with Gardner and Gardner put him in touch with Arthur Wright, Elsie's mm -hmm. father. Mm -hmm. And the Wright family gave Arthur Conan Doyle permission to write their story, but refused any payment on the grounds that they thought, if genuine, their pictures should not be soiled by money. Mm. Which, there are so many things about this story that I'm like, I think it's real because of this. Like, I feel like if this family was faking it for money, then why are they, then why, why at every point the did they refuse money? Yeah. What motive would they have what, to fake yeah. it except money? Yeah. So if they don't take the money. Yeah. Doyle and Gardner sort of became partners in investigating this situation. Hmm. They like decided to work together. Both of them have different motives because Arthur Conan Doyle, he wanted, well, one, he was writing about fairies at the time, mm -hmm. but two, he thought that if he could convince the public that fairies were real and that these pictures were real, then people would be more open to believing other spiritual um, yeah. or psychic supernatural like phenomena because yeah. he was himself was a spiritualist and wrote about that and wanted people to believe in it and then Gardner was just trying to convince people that theosophy was true um <laughs> so they had two different goals but they were they were like let's work together and get this let's prove these pictures are real the two of them contacted Kodak the photography company mm -hmm. and they talked with a consultant who told them that there was no signs that the picture was faked although they were still unconvinced that there were actually fairies 
they also thought it must have been staged somehow. They asked Ilford, which is another photography company, and they looked at the pictures and they said there was some evidence that it might have been faked. And, but Gardner and Doyle cool, were literally like, great, we asked three people, two of them believe us. So good enough. Good enough. Two yeah. out of three. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> Four out of five dentists recommend. <laughs> Two out of three photography experts tell us that fairies are real. So fairies are real. In 1920, Arthur Conan Doyle had to leave for a lecture tour of Australia. So he right, told Gardner... he's still Arthur Conan Doyle. He's still Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So he told Gardner to just continue the investigation without him for a time. Mm-hmm. And Gardner decided to go back to the Wright family. And he had this idea that... Um, he would give the two girls their own. Because remember, the father told them they weren't allowed to take any more pictures. He took the camera away. Right. But they were like, so this guy was like, okay, I'll give the girls cameras of their own. This is one thing that bothers me about this story is that they talk about these two girls like they're like five. And like, yes, Frances was nine when this started in 1917. She was nine. But Elsie was 16 and she was raised by a photographer and clearly knew how to take pictures already. But this guy was like, I'm going to go and teach them how to take pictures. Anyway, he went back to the Wright family and he brought them their cameras. And his idea was if I give them cameras, but I don't pressure them to get any more fairy pics, if they are faking, if the fairy pictures are fake, then I'm sure they're going to inundate me with, look at all these new pictures we took of fairies. But if they're telling the truth, then they'll just take a bunch of pictures and maybe a couple of them will be of fairies. Right. That was his plan. Okay. Uh, (laughs) This seems logical. Yeah, I agree. He went and he talked to Arthur Wright, Elsie's father, who told Gardner that he had always been 100% certain that the pictures were fake. He just had no idea how the girls did it. He said he searched their room and all around their property for like little fairy toys for like even art supplies or paper that had been cut out to show that they had drawn them or that they had cut them out of cardboard Mm -hmm. and he found nothing so he he didn't believe that the girls were seeing fairies but he had no idea how they were faking this although the mom always believed them yeah love the mom because moms are like that moms are like "Uh uh-huh whatever you say i believe you (laughs) ride or die but gardner believed that the whole family was honest and respectable and he returned a little while later to give them the cameras and he taught them how to use it. He gave them some photography advice, which I don't think they've needed. He told them to do whatever they wanted with the cameras. Then he left for a bit. The thing is, at that point, again, Elsie's 19 years old. So she was going away to school. So the girls were only together during the summer. Mm-hmm. And that summer was particularly hot. And so the weather for taking pictures wasn't really good until later in August. But then on August 19th, they were out with Polly, Elsie's mother, mm-hmm. and the two of them told her that the fairies only revealed themselves to the two of them. Which sounds suspicious, but I, I like, that sounds legit. If fairies are real, yeah. and they like two people, two nice girls, yeah. like, that doesn't sound that... Uh, again, if fairies are real. I, I'm not one of those people that's like, no, fairies are real, and this is how they work. But like... yeah. So the mom was like, okay, honeys, I'm going to go have some tea. And she left for not that long. She just went and had a cup of tea and came back. But while she was gone, they took two pictures with fairies in them. Then a couple days later, they took a third one. So now they have five pictures with fairies in them. 
they sent these pictures to Gardner. Gardner wrote to Doyle in Australia and Doyle wrote back, quote, my heart was gladdened when out here in far Australia, I had your note and the three wonderful pictures, which are confirmatory of our published results. When our fairies are admitted to other psychic phenomena, we will find a more ready acceptance. We have had continued messages at seances <laughs> for some time that a visible sign would be coming through. Doyle wrote an article about the girls in the Strand using the two original 1917 pictures, uh, although he changed their names from Francis and Elsie to Alice and Iris, mm -hmm. and he changed the Wright family's last name to the Carpenters. Mm -hmm. The two girls remained anonymous when the story broke initially, and it became a very popular story pretty much immediately. It was Everyone was talking about it, and it, it was like a very big divide because everyone either believed that it was a hoax or that fairies were real. Like, there was right. no... <laughs> There's no in-between. Like, yeah. the main thing that people were debating was the credibility of two girls who they... I, I don't know if they knew how old Elsie was at that time. I think it was just written that they were, like, two little girls. Right. And there was a lot of debate over, like, how honest children can be. Mm -hmm. And child psychologists got involved. I'm sure. Yeah. And there was some... There was one really cute quote that I read that was, like, can we not believe in honesty? And, like, one person analyzed the facial expressions of the girls in the pictures and said, like, look at how honest those faces are, basically. Like, can we just look at two little girls enjoying fairies and not be, like, those liars? Yeah. Which I sort of agreed with. In 1921, Gardner again visited the girls in Cottingley, and this time he brought a clairvoyant with him named Jeffrey Hudson, and he again brought them cameras that they could use. I guess he took the other ones back, or maybe he brought them new ones. And the girls said that at that time they were no longer seeing the fairies, and they had no more photographs of them for him. Mm -hmm. Which I think what he was saying earlier, that sounds right. Mm -hmm. If they were faking these fairies, then why don't they have way more? Yeah. Why did they only make three more, and then they were like, that's it, there's no more? Mm-hmm. Unless, anyway, I, I think you can tell that I'm biased. Or I want to believe them. Yeah. Also, the clairvoyant said when he was walking around the property that he sensed fairies everywhere. But the <laughs> girls, like, they kind of thought he was a joke. And they said in an interview years later that they thought he was ridiculous. And they just kind of played along with him because they thought it was funny. Mm -hmm. And Elsie looked at a picture that they took of the two of them with the clairvoyant. And they said, look at that, fed up with fairies. Like, at that point, they were really over it. They just wanted to move on with their lives so years went by like the story kind of eventually died down and years went by one reporter um tracked down elsie and figured out who she was oh and so the story kind of became popular again because the identity of the girls was revealed right and all of a sudden everybody wanted to interview them and talk to them and at that point in 1966 so she's 65 years old yeah. Elsie said in an interview that the fairies might have been fragments fragments of her imagination, but she also really heavily implied that if they were figments of her imagination, that then somehow they got photographs of her imagination. Uh, but then in an interview in 1976, again, Elsie's 75 years old, Francis is 68. Like, they're old women who have been hounded by the press for years at this point. Yeah. Um, both of them agreed a rational person doesn't see fairies, but they still denied having fabricated the photos. And then in 1978, 
magician and scientific skeptic James Randi um, <laughs> and a team from the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, which sounds like a no fun group. No. Like, just just ever... to people that just want to ruin everyone else's Yeah, fun. Yeah, absolutely. They, they used a computer program to analyze the picture and they said that they had proof that the pictures were fake because their program could tell that there were ways that strings could hold up, like cardboard cutouts of fairies which if you look at the pictures i don't see how that's cardboard like i do i recognize that it looks like it could be faked somehow but i don't see i think maybe cardboard must have changed somehow since 1917 (laughs) because it just doesn't look like card like did they have white cardboard at the time were they bleaching cardboard (laughs) painting it white for what reason like i don't (laughs) (laughs) you really are worked up about i am i am in 1983, so at this point, Elsie's 82. Yeah. And Francis is 75. Yeah. <laughs> they said in one interview that they, they admitted to faking it. But what they said was that they copied illustrations from the children's book, Princess Mary's Gift Book, which if you look at that book, like the, the images are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. They said that they copied those images onto cardboard and propped them up using hat pins on the bushes. So everyone's like, okay, it's fake. We have evidence. But here's my thing. These two women are like old ladies who have been hounded by the press for years of their lives. And they've said in so many interviews, it's, we didn't fake it. We didn't fake it. We didn't fake it. Can you like see maybe like years ago and be like, fine. Yeah, we faked it. We drew the fairies. We propped them up. We took a picture. Yeah, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. <laughs> the only reason that I think they're fake is that to me, when you look at the photo <laughs> with my 21st century mm-hmm. eyes, it looks like they photoshopped them in. But I know that they didn't. Yeah, that's what's the thing is like. I know that they didn't if it came out If in. the picture came out today, I'd be like, wow, cool CGI or cool photo work. Although I will say that one person commented, um, like, they asked one expert, and he was like, I don't see how they could have faked it. However, all of those fairies in the first picture have, like, modern Parisian hairstyles. (laughs) And why are the fairies modeling themselves after modern Parisians? (laughs) My thing is, like, to me, the fairies look, they look so Mm two-dimensional. And the girls look so So three-dimensional. That's my problem how 2d yeah especially because cameras at that time like any slight movement really messed up the camera mm-hmm. and like if fairies do have wings like do you know how hard it is to take pictures of things that are flying <laughs> really hard yeah that's my thing is that like they're not even blurry yeah you know like even if they had been a little blurred i'd be like okay yeah but they look so still mm that like how would these girls gonna be like okay now sit still i feel like every week i bring something to the table then sarah like proves me wrong i'm not purposely trying to prove you wrong um shakespeare was a real person (laughs) here's the thing though both of them admitted to faking four out of the five pictures but francis insists that the fifth picture is unfaked interesting elsie was like yeah we faked that one too but el but francis is like no that one we didn't fake I don't know. I just feel like there's still so much, like, gray area with this one that I'm like, well, then why? I think it might have just been, like, these two kids were playing 
And like they said, they maybe copied some pictures or something. But my gut instinct is to be like, those were faked somehow. I just think there's a lot of questionable, like, then why did the family not want money for it? Then why did the mom always believe them? Like, why did Mm -hmm. so many photography experts not understand how it was done? Yeah. I ultimately, I do. I think that's just the sign of a really good hoax. I think the best yeah. hoaxes are the, the ones two, that get The two, okay, even. again, Elsie was older, but Francis was nine. Right. I feel like they would have, someone would have gotten it out of her some other way. Like, like she would have slipped somehow and been like. I don't know. Nine, nine and ten year olds are really devious. They're not like four and five year olds. <laughs> like, I, like, again, like, I don't put this past, I don't put this past nine and ten year olds. Mm-hmm. Like, nine and ten-year-olds have done way worse things. <laughs> you know, like, you. I think we... I'm not saying she's devious or, like, m- wants to fool them. I'm just saying I think she'd be too stupid <laughs> at that age. I think, I think when you get to age nine and ten, when you make a mistake and you get caught in a lie, you will do anything mm. to stop people from finding out that you lied. Yeah. I think that's the thing. When you get to that age, you're like... I can't do anything wrong, mm-hmm. especially if you think about it. Like now we live in a society where children are really valued, whereas mm-hmm. we can't exactly say that in 1917, like 1917, by the time you were nine or 10, you might have a few years of school left. And if you were a girl, mm-hmm. you probably were going to become a wife and mother, you mm-hmm. know? So the importance of your rep- of your reputation being clean mm-hmm. was really important, especially since it seems like she came from a well-off family. You know, it's like with a good reputation. Mm-hmm. I think it would be reasonable and same for Elsie if she is that age, you know, and she's going to school. That finding out that you lied, mm-hmm. like your reputation is everything as a young yeah. woman in in society like that. Now, kids, they lie all the time. <laughs> and they, lie and they're like, oh, you don't do that. Like you have such a powerful imagination. Like it's just very different. Yeah. Because kids now, and I'd say this has been true since, like, the 40s, we've let them be kids. But it didn't used to be that way. Yeah. I guess I just don't understand why Elsie, like, when she first did it, she was 16. And I can see being like, oh, I'm hanging out with my nine-year-old cousin. Like, let's make some fairy photos. Like, mm-hmm. that's fun. But then three years go by and, like, you're 20 and your cousin's now 12. Again, I think it's reputation. I think it was like if But they, no one knew who she was. Like she was anonymous. Like no one was telling but the public her parents, that it was her. If she if her if her parents found out that she lied about this mm. and it caused them so I guess her mom was they taking put the pictures so around much, and yeah, showing like to they, society. they put in so the parents have put in so much effort mm-hmm. into looking into this. Like it gotten really conflated. Mm. Like it's Im- I think she would have felt embarrassed. I'm trying to put myself in her shoes if I if like mm-hmm. if I was 19, it's 1920. But why would she make three new ones is what I don't understand. If she did that when she was 16 and it got all this attention. To keep it going. She was like, I have to keep it going. Otherwise, everyone's going to think I'm lying. And I am. (laughs) (laughs) Which I am. (laughs) Which I am. I don't know. I think it's a reasonable thing to do. I am looking at the pictures now and I am seeing them as two-dimensional. I think it was that I didn't look super closely at the pictures and that I read the whole story and that made in in my head I was building this bias yeah. of like these people like just aren't believing these girls and like I also just felt like everyone was being kind of sexist towards Elsie 
like being like that little girl doesn't know what she's doing and i also, no, that's super frustrating at first i was kind of like on the side of i hope it's a hoax because everyone was like there's no way those little girls could hoax it and like what do you mean a 16 year old who's been raised by a photographer she could figure it out like anyway so that was my story on the cottingly fairies i wanted to talk about that it went on in 1997 a movie was made about the situation called fairy tale a true story <laughs> that's a funny title when you were a kid, did you make fairy houses? I didn't, but my friends did. Um, I did. That's like what me and my friends would do during recess. A similar story, sorry, and then I'll okay. let you get going onto your Reddit. One time, I went to the beach with my brothers and my parents and my grandparents, mm-hmm. and I had this, like, bath toy that was like a little plastic turtle, yeah. and I left it in, like, one spot, and then I it went missing. Oh, no. But in the spot where I left it, there was an imprint of a full size like of a big turtle and then like imprints in the sand like it had waddled to the sea that's really weird and my brothers were like your turtle and my grandfather and my brothers were like your turtle must have come to life (laughs) and gone to the ocean that's what happened and i like fervently (laughs) believed them i was like my turtle came to life and went (laughs) into the ocean (laughs) but what probably happened is my brothers just stole it and like my grandfather helped them like Make a turtle imprint in the ground. See, that would be really weird to me that they if it just appeared in the house like the next na- day. <laughs> like they were just so dedicated to it that they were like they threw it away. We're gonna steal her turtle and never get it back. Like that's very mean spirited to me. Probably what some what happened. Have you? Else had, stole oh, it. you don't have brothers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. But like, I feel like what's more likely is that somebody stole it. They couldn't find it. Like when they realized you couldn't find oh. it, they were, and then they were like, "Let's play the prank." I don't think they stole it to play the prank. <laughs> Because either they would have to have also thrown it away, which is super mean, or they would have to be so dedicated that they hid the turtle for the rest of their life, and they got your grandfather in on it. Which the grandfather's involvement is what really is like, no, they didn't steal it. Because the grandfather would have been like, give okay, it back, give it back. You know, the grandfather wouldn't have been like, ah. oh, you don't know my grandfather. No, I don't. I don't, but I don't think he would do that. Hi, Ralph. How like, you doing? He seems like a nice fella. <laughs> All right. So we'll move on to Reddit now. I have two short ones. Great. Love that. They are both from r slash no stupid questions, which it's really hard to look through. I realize because there's like thousands of questions every hour and most of them are dumb. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's really, it's really tricky, but I found two short ones that I think are interesting. Mm-hmm. And the first. <laughs> and the first. And the first of the two will be. Two out of three photography experts <laughs> believe that fairies are real. <laughs> the first is about tattoos. Ooh. And it's a, um, the question was, does your skin absorb your tattoo? Like, What do you mean? <laughs> like, is your tattoo sinking into your skin actively all of the time? I'm still confused. Like, it's there. It's in your skin. I know, but they want to know, is it being absorbed? Is it eventually that the ink gets absorbed into the skin and disappears? Mm. And the answer is yes. (gasps) Um, So, like, if you lived forever, your tattoo might eventually go away? Yeah. So, your immune system, this was was one of the answers, your immune system eats the tattoo, but extremely slowly. Mm. Whenever (laughs) you poop, (laughs) there are some articles of tattoo ink contained within. (gasps) Because that's what your immune system does. It gets rid of stuff in your body. <laughs> but it the process is so slow that it takes years. That's why tattoos that are older appear blue. 
You ever oh. seen like black ink turn to blue ink? It's because it's literally fading into your skin. So the color's getting less pigmented. Like the mm. tattoo on my back, the numbers were disappearing. I had to get them touched up because they weren't done in deep enough. Oh. So they were disappearing. The, and the other answer was like your immune system does try to get rid of it. So it's not exactly absorption. Um, the tattoos stick around for so long because some of the ink particles are too big for your immune system to pick up. So they will just be there until they get broken up further. Mm-hmm. Um, this is exactly how tattoo removal works. Um, when you go to a laser, if you get it laser removed, they use a laser to break down the ink, and then your immune system gets to work taking them all away, which is why when you get a tattoo laser removed, it takes six to eight sessions, <sighs> six to eight weeks apart, because they the laser breaks it up, your immune system eats some of it, they go back, they break it up again. <sighs> oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds really terrible. The second question is, why don't birds get electrocuted when they stand on a telephone wire? And the answer is because birds are not real. They are robots. That is why. <laughs> but you think then they'd short circuit or something. They'd be like, eh. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, there is actually a reason. It's because you need three things to get electrocuted. You need a high potential source, which mm-hmm. is on a telephone wire, the live wire. Mm-hmm. You need a conductor, which would be us or the bird. Mm-hmm. And you need a potential sink. Which would be the ground. Because the wire is not touching the ground, mm. nothing is touching the ground, the bird does not get electrocuted. Which means that if somehow you were able to get up to one of those wires, you could hang from it as long as your feet weren't touching the ground and you would not get electrocuted. <sighs> but the second you touch something that was touching, your gro- touching the ground, like the pole, you would get electrocuted. Moral of the story is always don't touch the pole. And if you want to electrocute I'm kidding, a I'm kidding. If you want to be a stripper, see go if for it short it. circuits, make it touch the ground. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the true bird test so those that was my reddit segment i liked it <laughs> two little fun facts oh i love little fun facts that are completely unrelated to this next part which you <laughs> did not remember what you asked me i about. don't i honestly don't i'm so sorry well speaking of the fairy <gasps> garden no, i just remembered <laughs> today we will be talking about haunted locations in both of our hometowns thank yeah. you i use hometown for you home state for you home state home no region. i don't home it's more home region for you but that's also hard because like is jane from maine we don't know (laughs) you can see my powerpoint (laughs) yeah jane does have a powerpoint explaining it but you consider maine your home i do so i did places near booth bay so would you like me to do my hometown first or your hometown first why don't you do yours first okay this isn't my hometown, but it's Allentown, which is where we went to college. So I felt oh, like it's okay. worth it. I'm just going to give you some. I have a lot of very short ones. Um, so Constitution Drive is a gravel road in a quiet part of Allentown that has a steep drop off on one side and train tracks on the other. Mm-hmm. There is a legend that a man was struck by a train one night while walking his dogs, which severed his leg oh. and left him. And he was left to die um, over the course of a few days because it was such a, diverted, a deserted stretch of road that no one came and found him. And ever since then, passersby have reported seeing paw prints and a single footprint in the snow left by the ghost of the man and his dogs, which is sad. A lot of these are urban legends, by the way. Mm -hmm. Legends also claim that the surrounding woods sometimes emit a soft whistling sound, like someone calling their dog, um, and that the area is populated by tiny pale-skinned people with red eyes. (laughs) Muhlenberg students. There is a man who lives nearby on the road with a small pot-bellied pig farm. Um, so some people are like, oh no, they just don't like him. So they made up this urban legend about this other guy to like spook kids. Mm-hmm. So that's an Allentown urban legend that I wanted to start with. Mm-hmm. So I had to bring us back to the good old days. 
And then this one is in Philadelphia, which I didn't touch Philadelphia beyond this, but this really freaks me out as an urban legend. Oh, no. I'm interested to know. So there is a legend that in Philadelphia, there's a bus called the Bus to Nowhere. It is said that the bus only appears to those who are left truly distraught and alone by tragic circumstances, such as your wife leaving you Mm -hmm. and taking your savings um you know (laughs) know how that happens all the time your children dying something like that Mm. something very very tragic if you were to walk around in philadelphia after this the bus to nowhere would come for you passengers on the mystical bus sit two days by misery to interact with or even look at one another and it is only once you come out of the stays that you will remember to pull the cord and get off once you exit the bus, you will not remember your time on the bus. The legend states that some have been riding the bus for years and that some will never leave. <sighs> so in Chad's Ford, which is really close to me and where they, and it's also the town where they filmed um, The Village. Have you seen The Village? No, is it scary? It's an M. Night Shyamalan film. I would say it's not scary. Okay, have you seen The Sixth Sense? With yes. With Bruce Willis? Okay, like, I don't think that movie's scary. Mm-hmm. I just think it, like, has a really good twist at the end that's creepy. And I would say the village is the same way. I don't find the village scary, but the twist is terrifying. This was filmed on um, a haunted estate in Chatsford, Pennsylvania, off of a road called Devil's Road, which is officially named Cossart Road. Um, Mm -hmm. And this road and this estate was home to a wealthy, rumored incestuous family called the duponts who resorted to inbreeding in order to keep their fortune within the family this house is called the cult house and it was used as a place to perform incestuous marriages and as a place to hide deformed offspring that often come of incestuous marriages. were they the people that turned blue what did you ever learn about them in science class no there's some incestuous family like living in mountains somewhere that like because they were so inbred like their family somehow developed the trait to turn blue. I need to look at this up right now. And, like, because they were also inbred, like, the whole generation just, like, was blue. We learned about it in biology class. <laughs> in high school. This 1800s inbred family turned blue. It's called, oh, it's called Methemoglobin. Oh my god, this is the longest word I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Methemoglobinemia. It reduces the amount of oxygen in your body so that you turn blue. Oh my god. And because they were like such an inbred family, like they all had it. That's nuts. Oh my god. That's absolutely nuts. Um, so this cult house, like I said, was used as a place to perform incestuous marriages and as a place to hide deformed offspring. Um, the trees, I've, (laughs) this freaks me out. The trees on that estate are dramatically bent away from the house as if they are trying to escape. Like everything Mm. grows outward. Um, piles, literally piles of animal corpses have been discovered in the area by visitors as if like, a bunch of animals tried to cross in there and they all just died on top of each other. Um, there's been a lot of strange activity on Devil's Road, but it's a lot. It's a popular place for teenagers to like go and pull pranks because it's famously haunted. Westchester University, which I live very close to, mm. um, claims to have several 
active resident ghosts. Hmm. Ramsey Hall, which is named after former English professor Dorothy Ramsey, um, is haunted by a teacher who committed suicide on the sixth floor. Mm. Ghost Droots, a student said to have hanged himself during homecoming weekend in the stairwell of Hollinger Field House, comes back to haunt the gym every year. Ghosts of one of this article says wannabe thespians <laughs> visit Phillips Hall, which is um, their like their playhouse. Um, I also remember so my family has a contracting company and they contracted the new music building that was built. I don't know, two thousand three, two thousand four. Are you hearing this bird? Yeah, he's doing the most. <laughs> He's like, um, I am real. <laughs> um, so they were contracted to build that building. And it's a really cool building. When you look at it from the top, it's shaped like a piano. And I remember, because um, I was in elementary school, that's when we still had Take Your Kid to Work Day. Mm-hmm. And for Take Your Kid to Work Day, I got to go to the construction site for this. And it was pretty much done at that point. Like, it was a full mm-hmm. building. The theater had seats and everything in it. But I remember, this was around the time that my mom told me that when orbs appear in photos, that means that there's a ghost there. And I remember mm-hmm. this because this was a couple years later. I believe this is before my grand my grandparents died. But my grandparents died a couple years later. And the same thing happened as what happened at the music hall. My mom was taking photos. And when she went home and she developed them, there were orbs everywhere. <gasps> and she felt very afraid. She was like, this means that they're a ghost. And then a couple of years later, when both my grandparents passed away, a couple of short months after each other, we were at their, what used to be their house, taking pictures. And the creepiest one is that there's this rock at my grandparents' house that we always take photos on because it's a really big rock and you can stand on it. It's like in the woods, whatever. And we have a big family. So we all fit there. And we were having like a party or whatever. Or we went to take a group picture at the rocks. And there were two orbs like where my grandparents would have been. (gasps) They weren't covering anyone's faces, but they were like right there. Which is really creepy. That's so, so, so like, I really believe in the orbs thing because I've had a lot of weird photos with orbs in them. I, and my mom knows enough about photography to be like, mm-hmm. that's not light. That's not what that is, you know. I think I caught an orb on tape once, <gasps> and I don't. I wish I still had, had the like film, but no, it's on like a flash drive somewhere from high school. Mm-hmm. But I was in this film class in my senior year of high school there was like an elective english class you could take that was just like film studies mm-hmm. um and the final project like you could either write an essay or you could make your own film in the style of one of the films discussed in class and so my friend and i um decided to make a fake like horror movie yeah. which is really off brand for me but our yeah school is super it's like this really old school building looking place and it's supposed- was this in buffalo yeah it was in buffalo yeah. and it's supposedly haunted by the first headmistress miss angel oh. um who is this really scary lady who like there's this big portrait of her above the fireplace in the library and she looks really scary and apparently she would like walk around and like grab you by the back of the collar and like make you recite like the periodic table and was like really strict on the girls at the school um so we were like let's do like we were trying to do because we had talked about um the Blair Witch Project in the class so Mm -hmm. we were like let's do like a found footage documentaries type type thing but like around our school so my friend Andy and I went around and um 
I, I don't even remember what was in it, but in one of the scenes we went backstage in the like little chapel in the school, mm-hmm. um, and filmed a scene of him like walking around and like the, the, we shake the camera or something and he ran away. But <laughs> in one of the moments after he ran away, we later were like watching it and there's something in it that's like orb shaped that moves across the camera and it's too it, it was like too distinct to be a speck of dust yeah and we like we told our teacher about it and he let us because then we showed our final project to the class and he was like he's like okay where's this orb you guys found and we like pointed it out and he was like oh yeah i don't know what that is oh. so backstage in the chapel we were like that's the orb of miss angel she's just moving across <laughs> like <laughs> she was there that's really scary that's super scary the Lincoln Room in Westchester is a historic tea room, which is across Ooh. the street from the old Westchester Jail, which, again, going back to my family being contractors, they contracted mm-hmm. the new Westchester Jail. I also went to that construction site. <laughs> um, I've never, I didn't see anything weird, though. Weird there, though. Um... In 1788, there's a story that a horse thief by the name of John Tully was sentenced to 60 days confinement and 38 lashings at the old jail. Um, His ears were cut off and pinned to a pillory. Um, And after that, Tully moaned in agony and laughed in terror Mm. while he was inside the jail. Um, And he created such disturbance in the jail that he was moved to the cottage across the street where he died the next morning. Mm. That cottage is the Lincoln Room. Um, according to Susan, Susan Johnston, the owner of the Lincoln Room, um, she claims that Tully's ghost screams and chuckles in the dark of night. Uh, I've never been there, but now I don't want to go. <laughs> and I never will. I know, this made me really happy that I didn't go to Westchester University, although I'm sure somewhere at Muhlenberg's haunted. I don't know what I'd do if I saw a full body apparition. Oh, I know, I that's would, that's I all like... Shane Madej wants on <laughs> BuzzFeed Unsolved, and I'm like, don't ever, don't ever. I feel like I'd just like... I'd either freeze or I'd sprint away. Did you hear that they found recently, like, in studies, that there's a third, like, fear response? Like, there's... People always say that there's fight or flight, but, like, actually freeze is a big one. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. That you just, like, totally break down. There's so many movies where, like, people get angry because someone freezes up in, like, a scary situation. That's, like, a trope in many, many movies. Which I totally understand because I want to say that I wouldn't freeze, but I probably would. Okay, the next one is, so I live very close to Brandywine, which is where the Battle of the Brandywine happened, and I also live very close to Valley Forge, but I'm going to talk about Brandywine, because Brandywine, mm-hmm. like, I live just feet away from the Brandywine River. Mm-hmm. Um, or not feet away, I live, I, there's a creek that runs next to my house that leads straight to the Brandywine, so like... I'm familiar with the Brandywine River, which mm-hmm. one time, quick anecdote, my mom and I were tubing down the Brandywine. <laughs> it was so shallow that we had to stand up and like carry our tubes. And my mom was like, there is no way George Washington led his troops down this river. <laughs> Maybe he did just on horseback. It was, yeah, I was like, they really rode their horses. But mm-hmm. some parts are deep. Like some parts you can absolutely swim. I don't know. I don't understand. So Thornberry Farm is a historical site. It's on that battlefield on that property and the brandy one is the largest bloodiest and longest lasting single day battle it was held on september 11th 1777 which mm-hmm. i didn't know was september 11th that's a little creepy and it lasted for 11 hours between the american continental army of george washington and the british and german hessian troops of sir william howe because 
many, many people were shot and bayoneted during this battle. It was said that the blood flowed over two miles down the valley into the Brandywine River. Um, the property's barn and spring house held prisoners, um, and the main house became the local hospital where surgeries were conducted because they were so gruesome because back at the time it was like if you got yeah. hurt they would just you would just lose the limb it is said that limbs of hurt soldiers were tossed out of the windows Ugh. the property also became the home of two mass burial sites following the battle and since then various sightings have been recorded there have been a lot of spirits seen in the main house and the barn and throughout the property and it's located in westchester and i personally will not drive past the brandywine battlefield at night Hate it there. Avoid it if you can. Avoid it if you can. I feel very unsettled there. <laughs> don't like it at all. I also live very close to Valley Forge, but I I don't think I've ever actually... I, I'm sure I went to Valley Forge on a school field trip at some point because I was so close to it, but like also avoid that. I don't, tr- I don't try to drive past battlefields all the time. Don't like it there. You ever been to Gettysburg? Yes. Mm-hmm, Again, too. eerie there. Yeah. <laughs> Do not like it. <laughs> I'm not a, not a fan. The Westchester Iron Hill and Brewery, which is a restaurant I love, <laughs> um, is supposedly very haunted. It's home. It was a house where many revolutionary soldiers died because they mm-hmm. brought people there to try to be. It was a hospital at the time. So they brought a lot of dying soldiers there and many of them died. At night, you can hear the sounds of chains, voices and floors creaking. I don't love um, that. And the employees there refused to work the late shift. <laughs> alone they're like absolutely not all of the time which i didn't know so that was a fun one that i was like great love when my favorite restaurant's haunted (laughs) that's cute they have really good food and also maybe some ghosts and the last one i'll tell is one that i remember hearing when i was like in third grade and it's an urban legend and i hate it and i still hate it and this is a place i avoid too and that is the twin tunnels uh, in Downingtown, which is very close to my high school. And when you drive to the movie theater in my town, you can go through the Twin Tunnels, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I don't, but I hate <laughs> when my parents drive that way. Like, I would hate yeah. it. And the Twin Tunnels are these two tunnels that the train tracks go over. Um, and it is said that in one, a man hung himself. And at night, you can see an apparition of him being hanged. I hate that. Yeah, when you go through the tunnel at the other end. And the other is that there was a rumor that... Um, a woman was murdered by a local bike gang in the 90s, which there were motorcycle gangs in Westchester and Downingtown in the 90s. And she was cut up into pieces and put in a suitcase inside the other tunnel. And some people say that you can see, although I've never seen it, some people claim that they have seen spray painted on the inside of the tunnel a suitcase and an arrow pointing at it that says, help me. <gasps> so I don't go there. <laughs> I used to be so afraid. I literally used to close my eyes when we were going through the tunnels. Oh, I have chills. Isn't that scary? So I heard that when I was a kid, and I was like, no, 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 (laughs) no. So, so scary. So, so scary. So, that was Chester County. I just need to, like, gather my wits for a sec, because, wow, that made me really, like, on edge. (laughs) Spooky. That scared me. It still scares me. If I saw a man hanging there, I don't know what I'd do. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you ready to learn about Haunted Booth Bay now? I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. Oh, well, we're going to do it. <laughs> so like I said, I stuck to an area around Booth mm-hmm. Bay, more like. The first place we're going to talk about is, I'm interested to see how many of these you know, 
is Fort William Henry in Pemaquid. Mm-hmm. It was built in 1692 during King William's War. It was created by the English to help defend against the French and Wabanaki Confederacy of Acadia, which I'm assuming is a French thing. Um, Acadia is the big, is like Acadia National Park. It's a big area. Oh, okay. So it was destroyed only four years after being built in the Siege of Pemaquid in 1696. During this time, during King William's War, many mm-hmm. indigenous people were killed as a result of the war, including Chief Tocalexis, who was hanged from a tree near the fort. Visitors claim that they have spotted his ghost near the tree where he died, and they've also <sighs> taken pictures of the front entrance, and there have been orbs Ooh. near the entrance. I've been to the, I've been inside Fort Pemaquid, and like in this, there's a little museum of like. Yeah. What it used to be when it was first built. Yeah. Well, it's considered one of the most haunted locations in Maine. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, now I never want to go back. Oh, There's boy. a really nice beach there. Nope. <laughs> no, we can't ever go there. It's okay. It's just one ghost. <laughs> and he won't leave the tree, so he's not, like, malevolent. It's mm. sad. It's more sad yeah. it, than it is scary. In Sabatis, Maine, which is near Bates College. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, My brother lives in There is an Lewiston. urban legend about a well. Um, this is what, and I'm going to read the story that Mark LaFame posted in the Sun Journal mm-hmm. about the legend. Because I think his writing of it's really good. Six years ago. I forget when this was published. A while ago. So it's not six years ago from now. It's six years ago from when this article was mm-hmm. published. I think it was like 2007 or something. It's 2001. Six years ago, a group of kids dared a preteen to explore an abandoned well behind an ancient barn in Sabatis. The well was at the far end of a long-forgotten cemetery, and it was reputed to be haunted. The boy was eager to impress his friends, however. He agreed to be lowered into the well on a rubber tire attached to a sturdy rope. His friends, giddy with excitement, lowered the boy down and down and down into the dark hole until he disappeared into the blackness. After there was no sound from below and no movement on the rope, they hastily decided to pull their friend back up, but what they hoisted out of the well was not the young boy they knew as their friend. The lad's hair had turned pure white, his eyes were dark and wild, and he trembled with unimaginable terror. He babbled and cackled wildly and appeared to have aged decades in the few minutes down in the darkness of the well. The boy never recovered from his madness. He is said to to shriek sporadically from his padded room in the county mental institution. I hate that. This is just an urban legend. No one knows where this real well is. No one knows where the well is. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just an urban legend. I spent every summer at Bates for the first like ten years of my life on Wood Island, which is south of Booth Bay. The Wood Island Lighthouse is rumored to be haunted by the ghost of a fisherman, Howard mm-hmm. Hobbs, who shot and killed his landlord friend Milliken in 1896. According to legend, Hobbs and his roommate, William Moses, had been drinking a lot. And when the landlord asked them about their overdue rent, they weren't <laughs> in the mood. And Hobbs shot Milliken and then shot himself all inside the lighthouse. Keepers who have lived on the Wood Island who have lived on Wood Island in the lighthouse say that unexplained shadows appear as well as unusual moaning. Mm-hmm. Others report that sometimes locked doors fly open and gunshots will be mysteriously heard. <laughs> and, and to save lighthouse keepers from dealing with the haunted light, in 1972 they replaced the old light with an automated light, so no one has to live on the island anymore. <laughs> so people were freaked out enough that they were like, "Okay, fine. Well, you don't have to stay there. We can we can get a we can get a robot. It's okay. <laughs> That's fine." The Kennebec Arsenal, which is in Augusta, was constructed for military purposes after the War of 1812. Have you been there? 
Um, I've driven past it. Okay. In 1901, it was no longer needed to serve um, as a military establishment, so the state turned it into a mental hospital. It was renamed mm-hmm. the Augusta Mental Health Institute, and we know that mental hospitals in the early 1900s were not a fun place to be. Oh, you want to know something funny? <laughs> <laughs> funny? I don't know. <laughs> so, um, as Sarah knows, y- y'all know, but this past summer, I... Um, helped the Y Arts uh, Youth Chorus create a movie musical entitled Scary School 2. Um, <laughs> oh, do I know? And um, there was one day of camp um, where I was these I, I was the assistant camp director, so there were a couple days that I was just like in charge while my boss had to go do other things. And there was one day where she was like, all right, you're in charge for the afternoon. I have to go film exterior shots of this mental hospital for scary school too like that was the setting of scary school oh my gosh well it is very scary and fun fact cosmopolitan magazine listed this arsenal as the most haunted place in maine in 2017 Mm -hmm. patients at this hospital received inhumane treatments including electric shock forced lobotomies and physical restraints 11,647 people died on its premises by the time it closed in 2004 so that's from 1901 to 2004 and many of them were buried buried in unmarked graves. Mm-hmm. In the underground tunnels of this property, some claim to hear screams of former patients. People will feel a sudden wave of sadness. And now access to the property is strictly prohibited, which is very strange. They don't really give a reason mm-hmm. why. And you can only park for five minutes tops <gasps> to take photos and videos. I guess my boss was driving around. Yeah. It's, like, very... Y'all can only park on property. For, so it's possible mm. that she, like, parked somewhere else and ran on and, like, yeah. <laughs> took some shots. Um, now, this summer, the Booth Bay Register published an article about a haunted boat tour that started this summer. Mm-hmm. And it is run by Sally Lobkowitz, a director of Red Cloak Haunted Ghost Tours, which happen all over Maine. Um, and here are some of its spooky locations around Booth Bay Harbor. Oh, great. No. Ram Island is said to be haunted by a woman in white. She warns ships from oncoming danger. Um, there have been many reported sightings by ship captains, um, and they said that they will hear the sound of foghorns warning them of thick fog, even mm. even before foghorns were installed on that island. Others have seen fires as, like, a warning to not go that way. Mm. Um, so, like, she's helpful. <laughs> At Pemaquid Point Lighthouse, a woman in a scarlet shawl has been spotted shivering in front of the fireplace inside the lighthouse. <laughs> I don't know how to say this. S-E-G-U-I-N. Seguin. 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 Seguin, maybe? Seguin. Maybe. That sounds... That sounds right. Rumor has it that on Seguin Island, there once lived a lighthouse keeper with a very lonely wife. Um, to entertain her, the keeper... All these stories about lighthouse keepers. Y'all, <laughs> y'all need to get rid of your lighthouses. Um, no, what, you do you want our boats to crash? No, no, don't get rid of your lighthouses. But, like, uh, they need better mental health packages. <laughs> um, so to entertain his wife, the keeper shipped a piano onto the island. However, they only sent the sheet music to one song. And she would play it all day and all night, which drove her husband into madness. Um, he chopped up the piano with an axe, then murdered his wife with the same axe. I feel like there's a better solution to that just get another song (laughs) nope (laughs) um this sounds like an agatha christie novel honestly um and today you can hear piano music being played (gasps) on the island 
Burnt Island also has <gasps> its that. ghosts, including phantom footsteps heard in the walkway connecting the lighthouse to the keeper's house, um, a ghost that screamed the lightkeeper's name, and woke him and his wife in the middle of the night when the lighthouse light had gone out, as if he was like, no, you have to help them. And on the island, people's watches will stop at 2 a.m., and they'll also hear strange and see strange things at 2 a.m. Why 2 a.m.? Unless something must have happened at 2 a.m. Yeah, well, 3 a.m. is considered the witching oh, yeah. hour. Yeah. 2 a.m. is the ghosting hour. <laughs> um, Lovkowitz says that um, getting the details of these hauntings on these islands is tricky because most of them come from lighthouse keepers with little documentation. And so most of the stories are just passed down, like, as legends and myths. Mm-hmm. So that's what that tour is about it happening in, that happened in Booth Bay this summer. Mm-hmm. And finally... <laughs> I'm glad they're all, like, on islands. So it's not well... something that I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the last one. And I don't know what your relationship to this location is, so we'll see. The last one is the Booth Bay Opera House. <gasps> Do you know anything about this? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's you, They use that for, like, um, like concerts. Pretty, we drove past it a couple times. It's right downtown. Yeah. Um, they do, like, concerts, plays, lots of stuff there. That's they don't the exactly do... Are. They don't do plays super often because the stage is really small. Yeah. But it's, like, a really old building, and they do a lot of events there because it's, like, an open space. And, like, I've seen a couple concerts there. Wow. Um, <laughs> it has a wild history. Oh, At least great. I think it's pretty crazy. Um, the Opera House was built in 1894 as a meeting place for local government officials. Mm-hmm. However, it also served as the secret meeting place for the secret society, the Knights of Pythias. <gasps> there was a what? <laughs> There was a secret society right in Booth Bay. The Knights of Pythias met up there until the mid-20th century. And the Knights of Pythias are a secret society very similar to the Freemasons. There's many of them. They have lodges all over the world. They're like, they're not really a secret anymore. They have like 20,000 okay. members all across America. But they have a similar mission to the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Ever since 1949, visitors to the building have reported experiencing strange feelings when they walk around Mm -hmm. um the spirits have been said to travel throughout the building but the majority of experiences happen on the second floor where the knights of pythias would meet specifically Mm -hmm. in the room where they had their meetings the most common report from the visitors is that the piano located in that room will often play itself (laughs) um some people believe that 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 spirit is earl cliff an old piano player for the theater that was in the building there has been a lot of speculation about like who the other ghosts are and if there there's nothing like documented that happened there like no one was murdered there mm-hmm. they say that there's a lot of spirits that hang around there because there was a secret society hiding mm-hmm. in there and where there are secrets there are ghosts so everyone confess your secrets to get rid of your haunting <laughs> yeah truly maybe we'll get this ghost out of oh our my apartment goodness. <laughs> and those are some haunted locations in Places we've been. <laughs> places that we've lived. <laughs> Spooky. Are you going to go to the Booth Bay Opera House the next time you go home? I don't know. I'll see who's playing there. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us on Patreon or leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Both are extremely helpful. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. Jane, 
You know what I've been wondering? <laughs> what have you been wondering, Sarah? So our next episode comes out on Halloween Eve. Halloween. Halloween. And um, I've been thinking a lot about curses lately. Mm-hmm. Specifically because I think this was really sparked because Maleficent, the sequel, is coming out, which we will not Don't see. Don't you dare. We will not see it because Jane hates it. I but, hate it. But like you know aurora had this curse on her and i'm just wondering if there are people in history who were like i was cursed or if there are like famous curses like is there a town that's cursed like i feel like curses are so Mm. popular in mythology and in legends like once upon a time is about a a curse you know but are there any groups of people that really believe they were cursed they were cursed we have a joke that that a witch cursed me so that i'm not allowed to use command strips anymore (laughs) 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 because i just can't get command strips to work for me they won't follow your command. <laughs> it's my curse. <laughs> so I'm interested, like, even though, you know, we've covered that witches are not malevolent beings, like, is there still people who believe that they've been, or communities believe that they've okay. been cursed? Got it. What that curses is like. Curses. Okay. Sarah. Yes. In the spirit of Halloween Eve, you Ooh. know, Ween Eve, Ween. um, you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? I've been wondering what the history of Halloween is. Ooh. I've been wondering, like, where it was first observed and why do we have some of the traditions we have. And, cool. You know, where do those come from? Yeah, I'm happy to tell you about that for Halloween. This is my favorite holiday. I'm pumped. I've been having a great month. It has been a pretty fun month. Yeah, I love Halloween. All right, so that's all coming at you. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.